count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of... Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. You have found Daniel Donato's Lost Highway. That lost highway. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Lost Highway podcast. Once again, <clears throat> my voice cracked. Still, I'll be 26 in a couple weeks. I wonder if it'll stop then. Perhaps not, but life still goes on. This is the podcast of all things Cosmic Country. I'm Daniel Donato. Thank y'all for hanging out. There's been this quote that I read this week that has just been blowing my mind because it, it keeps on coming back into my uh, immediate thought um, Rolodex, which is um, one from Carl Jung. It's uh, He said, those who look outside dream and those who look inside awaken. And that's a paraphrasing of sorts. Wow. Like, is that not just so fitting into your into your mind like a like a pleasant puzzle piece? Because it does for me. Those who look outside dream, those who look inside awaken. And then my initial reaction to that quote was like, oh yeah, I gotta look inside more. Like, of course, I, I always should be looking inside. But then it's like, mm, wanna look outside too. Wanna spend time looking outside. Really for the fact, because you can set goals by looking outside. Like you can find things that you want to aim at. You can find dreams that you have not yet realized in your own self, in your own reality that have been achieved in this quote unquote outside that you can therefore take to the inside and do the proper work. And hopefully you get to that place. Those who look outside dream, those who look inside awaken, you got to look both places and you got to spend time looking. It's crazy. It's a wild game. I feel like music is one of the most harmonious and perfect examples of those who look outside dream and those who look inside awaken. Um, it's crazy. If you ever watch me play on stage, I can't help but look outward. I, I just can't help. I can't really spend much that much time looking at the guitar. It's either my eyes are closed or I'm looking directly outward. And it might be a form of quote unquote dreaming. And while simultaneously anything that's coming from a, a musical place is coming from inside. It's a very wild, wild trade that we have from inside to outside. Um, again, those who look inside awaken, those who look outside dream. Keep looking, my friends. Look on both uh, spectrums. Look outside so you can find your goals and find where your potential may lie. And then look inside to find um, the shadow that you can integrate into your own life. And so it's like, man, it is a wild, wild thing. So aside from that quote that's been blowing my mind, everything's good. We're picking up a lot of shows down here in Nashville. We're working on a new Cosmic Country album right now that I've sent it to a lot of friends of mine, a lot of peers. They're digging it. They're saying it's really good. I'm going to take that as a good sign. Um, aside from that, can't wait for y'all to hear this record. We are almost 50 episodes into this podcast. We're touring this year. Life is looking good. Y'all stay patient, persistent, positive. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I discovered Robin Ford's guitar playing on YouTube, and it changed the way I approach holding, playing, interacting with the instrument. I've been a fan of his for 14 years. It was in this room, I think it was like October of 2019, Robin called me on my cell phone out of the blue. I'd never met him before and asked if we'd want to do a record together. <laughs> we had just finished up doing around 100 shows, 
and it was perfect timing. And so in two, December of 2019, we went and recorded some songs at a studio here in town, Sound Emporium. And uh, we released a record in August 7, 2020. It's a record called A Young Man's Country, and Robin produced it. Um, unbelievable experience of my life to be able to take that opportunity and put it on vinyl and put it out into the DSPs of the world and for everyone to go and hear it forever. Astounding. Robin has been one of the most splendid mentors I've ever had the opportunity to interact with. Fantastic friend and a marvelous mind. Truly, sincerely. This conversation that we captured here is the utmost proof of that. He's working on a new record right now. The process behind the record is unlike one that he's ever done before. It's really cool. Talking about a lot of early music history involving in his Robin's uh, career in particular. Uh, talking about cryptocurrency, <laughs> all kinds of things. Truly, the one and only, Mr. Robin Ford. Well, from a friend of mine, Roscoe Beck, the bass player. Yep. And, okay. uh... It, uh, as a 12-string, was fun. Do you, what'd you pay for it, if you don't mind? $2,500, which is uh, a crazy great price. That's wild. I tried to give him three, and he wouldn't take it. That's a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, anyway, you know, like, I, I tried using it on a couple of recordings. Uh, yeah. we, we tried using it on the new album, and, um, uh, it, you know, it, I don't know if anything's going to wind up on the record. But anyway, basically, I left that at Casey's Purple House studio because I didn't really have any use for it. Yeah. And so I was out there just a couple of days ago working, and it was hanging on the wall. Yep. You know, like it had been for almost two years. Get out of here, yeah. And so I just pulled it down and strung it for six strings and, and fell in love with it. Oh, my God. Yeah. The same thing happened to me this past weekend. Oh, was leaving for a session, uh-huh. and there's this uh, jazz master I have that mm-hmm. has two layers of finish on it. There's a like um, a gold, like a desert gold, and then there's this uh, sparkle red non-factory fin on it, and it's an all rosewood neck. And I haven't played that guitar since August of 2019. Mm-hmm. Didn't pick it up one time. It was yours in my your possession already. In my possession, right. sitting out on the rack. Uh-huh. I see it every day. <laughs> and these guitars you never think to play. Yeah. And I'm leaving for a session that we have, and I'm thinking, Jazzmaster, why not? Let's try it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And we plug it in, and it's still in tune. Mm-hmm. And you you hear it through the headphones, and it's coming back from the amp room. Mm-hmm. And you get the EQs just right, and you're like, my God. Mm-hmm. I, this instrument was just what I needed. Mm-hmm. This was just the thing I needed to be inspired. The Jazzmaster has the little white pickups, right? Yeah. It's rectangular white pickups. Rectangular and white, made just for that guitar, too. Mm-hmm. You know, usually used for surf music. Yeah. You know, the ventures and all that. Well, I think those guys, weren't they using Jaguars? Mm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Both. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, those were the surf guitars. Those right guitars, too. Which are <laughs> so, really haven't stood the test of time, like quite like Fender no. Gibsons have. Mm-mm. That must be a funny thing to see. Like, um,. You're still sticking to Les Pauls. You're still sticking to hollow body guitars. Mm-hmm. And it's funny to see all these new guitars come through all these years that don't really quite stand the test of time. And yet you go back mm-hmm. to vintage instruments, mm-hmm. always messing with new ones. Mm-hmm. Just before we turn this on too, you're like, it's mm-hmm. a long road to get there. What well, do you think about that? I've been trying to get the one great Les Paul, you know? Yep. And I've, of course. I've never really had it. Every Les Paul I've ever had, I've eventually sold. Um, yeah. 
because uh, the only ones I had initially were all new guitars. You know, I bought new ones. Mm. I had a I had a fifty four. Mm. Had a fifty four. Yeah. All original. Um, so it's the P nineties. You know. Not the not the same. And they're a, just a little limited. You know, yeah, they they're, really are. Yeah, they're yeah. not as versatile. Um, and, and too noisy too for recording a lot of the time. It, it, well, there's always now. that buzz. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, I loved that guitar and I used it um, on recordings. Um, mm. I used it on the road too. Uh, but uh, again, it's just, you know, the, the P90s, just, just, you can't just take that one guitar to the gig. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. So that's it. You <laughs> so want that true. one guitar you can just take to the gig and everything's good. I know. Yeah. So my <sighs> telly's like that. Yes, but it it's is. a little bit of a struggle to play Telecasters for me. You know, they just why is that? Uh, uh, it has to do with the bridge. You know, the tailpiece. The way it feels. Yeah, I think the tension. Uh, you know, uh, has of sitting across those <sighs> screw thingies. Oh, that those do suck. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, and then the lip of the uh, tailpiece itself. You know, I'm always hitting it. I just can't. Sure. Yeah. They do these. Um, there's a company out of Glendale, California um, called Glendale. And uh, they do these great handmade bridges that are called double, mm-hmm. uh, double walled. Mm-hmm. So where they essentially take that steel construct that is that, that Telecaster bridge, they scoop it out. So you can set your palm on the higher uh, part of the bridge, but then the lower part of the bridge, they scoop it out and you can really pick in there. It doesn't quite get in your way. It makes for a better experience. You're talking about the little wall. The wall. Is reduced like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's beautiful. I need to call them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put you in touch. They're great. And they do a better. That's the thing I was I saw this week too was uh, we were tracking some songs and I just went and got the Telecaster set up, several of them before tracking. And the intonation on those instruments is tough, man. Mm. I mean, that is, that's a real thing. Do you experience that with your vintage? Not one? terribly, no. Wow. Yeah, that guitar, it, it's, it's, it, it really, it's the only guitar I've not had any other guitar as long as I've had that guitar, you know? How long have you had it? Uh, well, I bought it in 92 or 3. Oh, yeah. That is a long time. So we're getting on close to 30 years with that instrument. Yeah. Whoa. I have been <laughs> playing it the whole time. <laughs> and there's no other guitar, again, that I've been playing that whole time. It's the only one. So that has to say something. That says a lot of things. Yeah, because I never even consider myself a telly guy, you know? Bloomfield was the telly guy, though. At least well, for me, when I was first, like, who's a telly guy? And you get through the you get through the modern examples, you get through Brad Paisley, you get through Keith Urban, and you get through the the more modern well, examples. Well, those guys, you know, started on it and kept playing it because Bloomfield he'd only played that guitar for like two years. <laughs> and then he went to Les Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The thing that's It's weird. just that sound that he that's created. The thing, man. Yeah. I mean, that's where my sound comes from is that, which from is probably why I have a Telecaster, but I never thought about it, you know? Isn't that crazy, right? Yeah. Like, uh, so do you think, in regards to some of the first guitar tones you had heard, mm-hmm. um, was Bloomfield early in that repertoire? 
first one. So there we go. Yeah. Isn't that, that's the realest thing? Is ground that, zero. The ground zero influence is real. Mm-hmm. Like the first five, ten artists we hear, they give us permission to like love that tone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very that. I was about to say, you know, yeah. like in, in those days, mm. uh, it, in the 60s, you know, mm. I was about to say that it seemed like everybody had a good tone. but i don't know that that's completely true but (laughs) certainly anybody who could really play you know i mean bloomfield had great tone eric clapton clearly Jimi hendrix you know and all the blues players yeah they all had great tone even Yeah. yeah 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 even bloomfield on a duo sonic which you know isn't the best guitar prep for like an adult man to be playing his tone was still warm and it worked. Where did he play that? Beautiful. There's these early, early sessions, and you can see, I think they did him a couple of So before the first somewhere. Butterfield album? Oh, yeah. Yeah. These uh-huh. are, or they might have been cut in Chicago too. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing this like all blue outfit. And it's these, you know, it's a very much so a vintage way of tracking. You know, the lead singer singing closest to the condenser mic and background singer singing behind the singer. I see. There's no isolation. It's, yeah. He's got this duosonic on with that anodized pick guard. And, you know, like that classic anodized pick guard where part of it is gone and just the mm-hmm. aluminum section yeah. is showing. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know what recordings they are, but you can hear Bloomfield regardless of what yeah. it is. Him doing his... Sure. It's that, it's that human. Mm-hmm. It's that personality. Yeah. No one had sounded like that before, and no one has sounded like that since. <laughs> I mean, there, of course, a lot of people have emulated him. I mean, I definitely sounded like Mike Bloomfield at one time, you know. Mm. <laughs> but, um, but you also sound so much like yourself. Well, I, you know, I always equate that to largely, um, you know, like starting as a blues player and tone was essential. And um, oh, wow. you, would, you didn't get it from effects, you know, which so many guitar players grow up. They build their sound going through a pedal board. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's a thing. So uh, Absolutely. You know, and there's some very cool tones that come from that. Sure. It's a different thing. Well, if you don't learn how to play without it, I think it must be, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know that you can possibly yeah exactly really have a good tone <laughs> do you have a good tone you know what i See, mean there's the truth and it's, when i was complimenting you about we were just playing through that uh refinish les paul that you have mm-hmm. uh through this vibralux mm-hmm. and it's like yeah the amp and the guitar sound great but it is you ultimately that creates the inspiring air that comes to those speakers yeah mm-hmm. you know when you the individual with, yeah the individual Mm-hmm. That's the most wild thing. Yeah. That's, and I mean, yeah. amps were really well made back then, man. Not the same now. Mm-mm. Not the same now. No, that but, amp was terrible until I had it modded. Right. You know, so. Yeah. You couldn't buy that off the floor. And I sure wish you could, you know. You could at a, at a hand-wired custom shop price. And it's going to cost yeah. you the same that a vintage one would cost. Exactly. You know, and that's a weird thing too. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, what do you think about the idea of less is more in regards to not less is more in, in gear, but you essentially just need better gear yeah, and less things blocking you from that initial source. Like that seems to be a huge part of your sound. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I mean, I really just want to plug into an amplifier with a little reverb and I'm good to go if it, well, if everything, you know. I know, that's the thing. <laughs> Zach Reynolds, the uh, engineer uh, here in town, was telling me that he, I think you were with him the other day doing some guitars and you guys spent 
several hours yeah. just testing out different amps. Mm-mm. Do you remember that at all? No, uh, not exactly. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. We, we might have, you know, like I've, I've had two or three heads that I've been taking in there yep. over to Blackbird. Oh, okay. And, um, Are you tracking at Blackbird for a record? Or? Uh, it was overdub mm-hmm. for my new album. Right. And, Which uh, you caught in a pretty interesting way, right? Yeah. You know, piece by piece. And yes. You didn't go live, full band. It, basically, the engineer and myself, you know, built the tracks and what then added the instruments. And I've never done that. Yeah, that's so out there. Well, never well, done that. What was the idea behind doing that? Well, I got together with some first-class musicians. Sure. Um, and, uh, and tried playing together, you yeah. know, in a room with a, a relatively new piece of music that was incomplete, but I was just wanted to try some ideas yeah. and see if this thing worked, you know? Sure. And uh, we did it twice. And at the end of, after that, because I was paying for it. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I just went, I think... I need to have people just do exactly what I want them to do. Right. I couldn't let them influence the music, in other words. I had to conceive what each instrument was going to do. Yeah, totally. Especially if it's not fully done before you bring it in. And they don't know what you think. (laughs) They only know what they think. And once they have an expectation of how the thing's going to go, then it's hard to influence them otherwise, especially if you're not very certain. Well, you want that of them, though, right? You do. You want you want to let you want a guy to be able to come in and just thanks, man. Yeah, That's I, great. I'm sure you've been that guy to other people's projects. Well, and many and times. others. You know, uh, I did do one session uh, on this for this record. Uh, uh, I did two, but I did one day and cut three things and. Uh, I don't know if you know this drummer named Nate Smith. I love Nate Smith. Did you know he moved to town? I've heard he has moved to town. Yeah. He moved here last July. He is so good. Yeah. Yeah. And when I heard he moved to town, Brian (laughs) Allen, the bassist, told me. (laughs) And I said, you have his number? He said, yep. (laughs) So I wrote a couple of songs. Oh, wow. Come on. For him. Come on. I mean, knowing he would be playing. Yeah. Yeah. So there was somewhat of a tailoring up from my side toward him, you know. Okay. Anyway, he was, you know, I called him up, you know, can you do a session? And yeah. And um, Anton uh, Fig, not not Fig, Anton uh, Nesbitt. Do you know Anton Nesbitt? I know Anton Fig, but not bassist. Nesbitt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anton yeah. Fig's the drummer. Yeah. Uh, Anton Nesbitt is a great bass player here in town. And I knew what, I could, what he would do. And so I called him up, and man, whoa! I didn't have to tell people anything. Exactly, exactly, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And it was wonderful. Yeah, that is when it happens, man. Yeah, that's when it happens. People don't really do music like that in that genre that you're doing a lot right now here in town. Mm -hmm. That high level of a player, everyone in the room, they know where their strengths and their weaknesses are, and Mm -hmm. that's the most beautiful thing. Sure is. It really is. But, or yeah. a, a full-on band that's been playing together a whole bunch. Yeah, man. Like you yeah. and your band when yeah. we cut your record. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a different thing. And it was uh, it was so wonderful how the sound, you know, was. Uh, oh. it's, it's that record is a phenomenon to me. 
Your record is absolutely a phenomenon to me. I is think it it's really? Absolutely. It's the, it's the best sounding record I've heard in years. Why? In my opinion. Oh my God. And it was Thank because you. of that aspect of the, yeah. you know, a band that yeah. knew exactly what they were doing together yeah. in a great room. With a great engineer, mm-hmm. you put up the mics, and you, you met, well, thank you. Yeah, you. Uh, everybody knows, you know, what they're doing. You know, in the right place, and it, it just it it just kills me the way that record sounds. It it does. And yeah. Anybody I play it for, they hear it. They know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. It's the sound of it, the energy of it. You know. Yeah, man. So beautiful. Thank you, thank mm-hmm. you. I listen to it. All of the time. Yeah, oh, that's so great. Weird. I'm very happy for you to say that. That's yeah, really cool. Me too. Because I'm not afraid to like my own music. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, they are. They don't want to hear it, or they don't even like it. That's the weirdest thing. Is yeah. why would you put something out into the world you're not proud of? It's different yeah. if it's a live video, and it's like, oh, that's not my best gig, whatever. Oh, for sure. But that's not for you to decide. <laughs> but <laughs> that's funny. It's so true, right? But music that legitimately you don't like, you have all the control in the world to not put out. Mm-hmm. You know, when mm-hmm. you look back at the literally the wealth of work that you worked on, um, are, are you you're proud of it all? I am. There's only one record I've done that I um, I kind of like uh, disappointed by. You know? Oh wow! Yeah. I shouldn't say it because I don't want anybody to not buy it. They might say, people might actually go listen to it and be like, I, maybe I disagree with Robin. I love how we, the sleeping oh. bulldog in the background actually is the best noise ever. Do not be. It's awesome. It's quite all right. She snores and she's awake. That's all right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so the record is Blue Moon. I don't know if you've ever heard that record. Absolutely. Yeah. Come mm-hmm. on. So what is it about that? Because that seems so in line. With, with how I would think of what you do. It's like... Well, I mean, it was certainly recorded with musicians I was very familiar with. Yeah. In a style that I was familiar with. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, cutting tracks was went pretty well. But when it came to the overdub stage, uh, uh, I just, I couldn't get a good guitar sound. My God. That's the realest thing. Just drove me nuts. Yeah. Great gear. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I had that gold top Les Paul, and you can, it just sounds gnarly, and you can hear the buzz, yeah. you know, of the pick, the pickups. Oh, yeah. I just, I, I couldn't get a sound. So when I hear that <laughs> record, and I don't, like, I actually will check out almost every other record I've done. Um, but that one, I just don't want to hear it. Just, it just makes me feel weird, you know? I, yeah, absolutely. I listen back to um, these early Grateful Dead recordings and you you hear them talk about like, oh, you know, well, we we had this band formation then and our ideas about playing music then weren't as involved as they came to be in 1972. And you listen to like 1968 to 72 and you're like, these are different humans. Mm-hmm. And maybe the concept, and you hear it in Miles Davis, right, is that you you work and evolve as a human out loud. Yeah. When you're a musician, like that's what you do. Very good. Like you're living out loud. That's a good one. Like for the whole world to see. Yeah, if it's you're like, evolving. <laughs> Some don't. Some choose not to. They sound exactly the same, you know. That's very scary. Yeah, I know. That was the thing that you showed me, hmm. uh, what, which was the concept of, listen, it's not about the things that you're, you're playing and that, and that you're that you're trying to execute. It's really actually going to be a matter of the things that you choose to not play. 
mm-hmm. that speak all for the space and all that. And that's mm-hmm. where you can evolve and change as a as mm-hmm. a player, right? Because mm-hmm. so many players get into these ruts of like, I need to learn modes or I need to learn all these you know, standards. And it's like, but you, you're not even thinking about how you sound as a human or the things that, how is your touch on the guitar actually affecting mm-hmm. you? And you made me so aware of all these elements, you nice. know? It was like, um, you know, I think we had that reef in Les Paul on the on the solo. Yeah. And I was watching through some a video. I was like, we were trying to nail a solo on this John Prine song, and it just wasn't the vibe. And then you went in there, and I was like, Robin, why don't you try taking a pass on it? You took one pass on a, it must have been like 60, 32 bars, something like that. Not mm-hmm. very long, but definitely a long jam solo. Mm-hmm. And. He's like, oh my God, like that is how someone who knows how to speak with music goes and plays. And that is very yeah. much the thing. It was like, um, how to evolve is it's taking away things. It's not always okay. about adding things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm understanding the point more, even more clearly. Because for me, like my example, whenever I talk about that, try to explain that to, to people sure. generally, is uh, the painter Matisse. Okay. Did we talk about that? No, we haven't talked about Matisse. Matisse is my favorite painter. And um, so I was in France. Uh, I think I was in his hometown or something. Okay. And maybe maybe we were in Nice. You know, all those guys painted the beach from their hotel room window. You know, all those, you know, med- Mediterranean. You know, Starry night, what's French happening paintings, there? You know. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, I went to um, an exhibit of Matisse. And um, it started from the beginning and went all the way through to the end of a certain period. And the mm-hmm. end of that period, he was losing his sight, eyesight, you know, oh. like people do when they get older, you know. Sure. And this is why Renoir, you know, his paintings got blurry toward the end and he painted what he saw. He didn't like pretend that that's not what he saw. He was painting what he saw. So you have blurry flowers. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Exactly. And he was totally cool with it, you know? Yeah, he got to. But um, <laughs> also Degas. Not Degas, but who's the guy who painted the the lilies? Do you know Isabella? You know the lilies? Uh, who's that guy? Can't think of his name. Yeah, I don't know. Very famous series of paintings. But he's and, French. Yeah. Okay. Um, sure. So anyway, so I, I see this and it's like, and it ends with his blurry paintings, like this exhibit, you know? And then I, I just thought about what it is he did after that. He went, screw it. Mm-hmm. And he painted really simple, large things. What? That's where he painted those things. I don't know, maybe you haven't seen a lot of French Impressionistic painting but, or modern, but you know, he would paint, he would have a huge blue blue, you know, and then he'd paint a big yellow man figure, no face, just, you know, like a kid would draw. Like low resolution shapes and colors. Yeah. Like just like, like if you made a turkey with your hand drawing, you know, sure. And a big red star. Get out. So he literally reinvented himself and he, I think that he basically invented graphic art. Right. What is the, what's your basis for that, for that concept on why he would invent graphic art? Uh, because those types of things hadn't been quite done yet, you know, like large, 
large impressions, you know, like graphic art. I kind of think of even like wallpaper or wrapping paper, mm -hmm. big images, you yeah. know, that, you know, serve a particular function. Sure. Simple yeah. images that make a statement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And um, yes. I had a, I have a book on him and uh, toward uh, the, the end of the book, there's, you know, in his old age, you know, uh, there's a picture of him and he's lying in a kind of a narrow bed huh. up against a wall, like in the corner like this, Yeah, you know, and there's this big canvas. Okay. And he has a long brush. He's laying in bed and he's yeah. got this big stick with a brush on the end. Yeah. He's doing this. What? Is this you know? Seriously? Yeah. So he wouldn't stop. He Isn't... reinvented himself. He's like, this is what you do when you, when you can't play fast. Well... Play slow. Yeah. Man. Really good. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? wow. <laughs> so the painter's wow. always there. Yeah, you're you know? so right. So you run into physical, you know, inhibitions, then you change. You, know? you have to change. But yeah. it's the way in which you relate to the forces of life mm -hmm. that, that impose themselves on you. It's the way in you, which you relate to those that actually create the, the beauty in the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the way he chose to relate mm -hmm. through his own impositions that he had. Mm -hmm. That is a wild thing. You hear about that with uh, Wes Montgomery, mm. you know, starting at guitar at a later age mm. and approaching it from a place where conventions on that a way we would normally play guitar, singular notes, the way he yeah, did the octave, octave strumming, and that was an individual using his own inhibitions mm -hmm. to create a unique style. Mm -hmm. That was an advantage. Mm -hmm. That's a wild thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Matisse said uh, mm. he was he he paid Renoir a visit, <laughs> and uh, Renoir was see what that was like. Renoir was sort of the reigning master of French painting at that time. Yeah, and old, you sure. know. And he said, "So I went to see the old master today," and he goes, "I've decided to let art have the last word." Whoa. What do you think he means by that? Well, I, to me, I thought it was like addressing, you know, all the life issues. How do you relate to, you know, like, in other words, death. Okay. He decided to let art have the last word, you know. So do you think that's relating to art in the sense of a servitude for it up until where you can't do it Devotion anymore? to art, you know. To the devotion to it. Yeah. That is the realist thing. As this is, this is my life, in other words. I'm an artist. I'm going to be an artist yeah. till the end. You know? yeah, yeah, That kind of a thing. There's a lot of power in that, you know. In that, having that intention, you know, I think Muhammad Ali said I hope it. this isn't bad stuff for your program no my <laughs> listeners love these meta concepts that's all we think about <laughs> oh cool the, the abstract and great yeah yeah how it relates to music and mm -hmm. th there was this i read this quote on instagram there's so many great quotes on there if you you can choose to let social media be a bad thing mm -hmm. you can also choose to let it be a nice inspiration machine and there's a page that posts only good quotes and it was muhammad ali mm. it was along the lines now of we're him, talking right <laughs> Along the lines of him saying something, when, when you identify your spiritual intention, everything you do becomes a prayer. Mm -hmm. So like everything you do wow. becomes compounded interest mm -hmm. into the succession mm -hmm. of that feedback cycle that you're living mm -hmm. in yeah. and creating from that space and mm -hmm. working in that space and living in that space. Mm -hmm. Like 
on that level. Mm. That is the realest thing. That's it. That's exactly the same thing. Right. That's exactly the same thing. You, when do you think that was for you? Because you are just such a lucky person to have been born in the area you were at the time you were. I say it to you. That was fortunate. Every time we get together, how yeah. jealous I am. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was very fortunate. <laughs> the first time we sat down over BLTs, we talked about concerts you'd seen and it yeah. was... All like of them. Such a... Right. <laughs> we're talking about such a small portion of people to also have been gifted with the, with the inspiration and ability to play music. Or the work ethic to be able to play, weren't learn. Mm-hmm. Like, what a lucky experience! Like, yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, fortunately, I had an older brother who had a car. Yeah. Because yeah, I was I was fourteen. You know, I didn't get my driver's license till about till about sixteen, right? So for a couple of years there, I was riding down to San Francisco from my Northern California town to Fillmore Auditorium and Winterland oh, hi. and. Carousel Ballroom, Family oh. Dog, Avalon Ballroom. Family Dog was, yeah. I mean, in particular, that one was of the most uh, Family places. Dog actually was a promotion company. Yeah. And uh, I think they, yeah, I don't think Stanley there was a Mouse, venue. Right? Well, it's those, that yeah. whole, that San Francisco scene. Yeah. yeah. They were promoting a lot, all those shows probably. Big Brother and the Holding Company. Jefferson Airplane. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Family Dog. And I think the Avalon Ballroom was kind of their main or maybe it was the carousel ballroom. Where would you would you see the album art along town? Just you know, posted. That that's the thing. Is, see the album art. Yes, or the uh, not the album art, rather. Um, you know, show the show art. These posted? posters they would uh, do were yeah. still famous today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were in Northern California. I don't know. I think we were we 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 knew about the shows because they were advertised in the San Francisco Chronicle. Mm. So that was the paper. Yeah. And we, we would always get the San Francisco Chronicle and check out what was going on, you know. And there was always something that you wanted to see, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know. Paul Butterfield Blues Band, yeah. Cream, Hendrix, The Who, you know. What? I mean, everybody. What was it? And like? they were playing all the time, you know. Surely you thought, though. This can't last. This can't be the thing forever. Like this has well, to be a think. boom of music. Yeah. <laughs> That's another thing. I was fifteen. Not? I'm like, right. this is great. That's all. This is great. You know. That's great. You listen to like the Miles Davis at at um the Miles the live Miles Davis on the West Coast uh, at Fillmore. Oh, mm-hmm. and it's like my God. There's that is. There is something had to have been in the air, in the water, on like a vibrational level for everyone who was like in the collective consciousness of music at that mm-hmm. time. Well, that was the 70s, I think. I think that had to be the 70s. Early. Yeah. Right. 72. Okay. Or maybe even three. Sure. Possibly. Because I don't know. The film art closed at one point, you know, for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. I can't remember when. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look that up. But... Uh, yeah, so he was, that was the densest, his, his music, you know, that was the densest period right there, right? Yeah. So, it's the, I didn't it's, see that band. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know who, I, don't, I think Chick Corea was playing. In no. The, no. There's no, no keyboard. There's no keyboard. Uh, it's all guitars, I'm pretty sure. Oh, probably a Gibson guitar. We should find out. Yeah, that would be something. <laughs> Some of these podcast hosts have... People who have. Oh, you're using your phone? Oh, yeah, let's do it. They usually have people who uh, look things up for them. Let's see, actually. Yeah. 
72, I'm So we thinking. have Fillmore. So I'm looking at Miles Davis, Fillmore West. Yeah. Yeah, Black Beauty. This is the one. It's April 10, 1970. 70. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Tio Macero produced it. Sure. Um, oh, and it came out after Bitches Brew. Yeah. Which was probably recorded in New York, huh? Yes. Yes. So, Chick Corea. He's on it, huh? Steve Grossman. Yeah, the tenor player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Dave Holland. Um, so there's no guitar player. So I'll have to revisit that record, man. Yeah, it doesn't look like there is. Okay, I was wrong. Because I think that was the thing that made me click on it was, you know, we click on records now, which is weird. Oh, click on it. <laughs> you have to click on records I clicked now. on it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a weird thing. You have must... you ever clicked on that record? Yeah. <laughs> no one was saying that in 1970. No. Are we going to click on this record? Like, uh, so Oh, vinyl, man. That's the thing, too. That yeah. is really... There album, was, uh, album covers. It kind of has a similar aesthetic to uh, Super Session. I'm looking at the album cover right now. Yeah. That, which, you know, the old Al Cooper, Mike Bloomfield. Well, and it's Columbia you know. Records, too. They're both Columbia. Right. Might have been the art department's having a moment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Man, Columbia was having a real investment in that improvisational community mm-hmm. of players. Yeah. But it seems like that's all that was happening. And kind of the advent of... American improvisation within a rock format, something that wasn't very East Coast, but it was very West Coast. Mm-hmm. And it was very much uh, borrowing from bebop scales, but then it also has a lot of chordal simplicity, mm-hmm. this improvisational era. Mm-hmm. Even what Miles was doing on that record, like chordally speaking, they, they really vamp on one chord for oh, yeah. seven, eight minutes, which is his vein of yeah, music. Absolutely. Man. I mean, that is the thing, right? Yes. Exactly. And it is, it's a 12-tone palette, you know. <laughs> one chord with 12 tones? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one note as a, on the bass and 12 tones, <laughs> 11 <right>. more tones. <laughs> you know. Do you think that's influenced in, in, in some way from, from the same vein that James Brown would simply just loop? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Just with the harmonic, you know, expansiveness of, you know. Those guys, those musicians, you know, those who humans. were incredibly, you know, sophisticated musicians, you know. Before I forget, because um, you were talking, we were talking about Columbia Records and, you know, the yeah. improvisational period there, you know. Yeah. There's a book you should read, man. Oh, uh, come on. If, I don't know how into jazz you are exactly. Yeah, I'm not, not sure. super. Okay. Not super. Well, so the history of this will not be... Uh, anything you're you're familiar with then that's like even for, better for me I, I i i've heard all the records in there almost not all of them but anyway it's the story of impulse records is the, is the book and i'm going to give it to you oh i'd love that yeah and i would love that it's uh it's basically uh bob Thiel was the kind of the hero producer for he's the guy who really took impulse you know forward on the business side you know oh no it's called the house that train built Okay. T-R-A-N-E. Sure. And it's the, the history of Impulse Records. And Bob Thiel is the, you know, the main character, you know. Although, it, you know, it moves on beyond that. But anyway, it, you, you'll, you'll read the history of exactly that period of time. In, it's a cool representation of that period, you know. Yeah. Talking about other record companies and producers and stuff. 
It's like it seemed even though that humans at that time were into longer improvisational. With yeah. where we're at now, you know, a guitar player today is oftentimes looking for a sound bite, a 30 second, 15 second. Mm-hmm. What is this person? What can they do? Oh, I like that follow. I don't like that swipe. Where then, you know, well, let's go see the show. Let's see this oh, yeah. two and a half hour show. Let's see a two yeah. hour set. You know, yeah. and see it, see it in person. Mm-hmm. There was a the, the advent of that improvisational era. You were directly, yeah, I was in there. there. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful thing. That it's, was very cool. I really believe it to be this too. People, uh, we were just you know at some point the other day, they're like, "How's Robin doing?" Mm-hmm. And like, he's great, you know. And they're like, "When Robin's around, there is a different vibe." Mm-hmm. And. They can't quite explain it, and it's only in a positive light. And I tell them, it's like, I think he has radiation poisoning <laughs> from, from literally being alive in the most pungent and most inspired era of, of American music. Like, <laughs> Maybe we could find another way of putting it. But. <laughs> like, it's true. It's almost like you were born in this weird wrinkle of time, and you, mm-hmm. were at, you had just the right interests and the right opportunities to see the most supreme sources of purity that guitar and, and music yeah. could offer at the time. I feel like the only thing that I missed that I really regret, I never saw um, Coltrane, you know? Oh, I'd never. No. Yeah. And uh, I've never seen Sonny Rollins either, and that's a regret. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. But Miles is pretty close. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, that is a whole legion of, of excellence. The first time I saw Miles Davis was at that same period when he did, um, well, it would, be, would have been a little uh, after. Anyway, I think it was 1972. And mm. the band, uh, see, I'm very confused about this with that Fillmore record. Yeah, here, the timing, I, I, I believe you. You said 1970. Yeah, 1970, yes. Yeah, I mean. No, no, actually, check this out. Recorded 1970, released 1973. Okay, yeah. that's a, a little Does that more, more understandable. But even that thing weird is, too. why would you hold on to that for three years? Well, what I think of is the um, Isle of Wight. Okay, yep. Electric Miles, right? Hmm. So that is. Can you look that? Yeah, up? I'd love to. So, yeah, yeah, Miles Davis. Electric Miles is Isle of Electric Miles. That's yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, when was that? So because it, it, that might have been like sixty eight or sixty nine. Uh, electric miles, Hans. Are they enough not coming out? I thought it was nineteen seventy. So that's coming up as you're not talking about bitches brew live. No, it's after seventy. Isle of Wight. Yeah, nineteen seventy Isle of Wight Music Festival. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So any, at that time, you know, he was completely clean. No drugs? Yeah. Was he sober for religious reasons? No. Nope. Okay. He didn't want to die. Oh, <laughs> so just logistical. He was very, you know, he had gotten very, you know, very messed up on, on drugs and, you know, alcohol and everything. Just his whole lifestyle. So uh, he had met Cicely Tyson, and Cicely Tyson basically got him to clean up, and he became a... Not vegan, but what's the other thing? Uh, pescatarian. Mm-mm. Vegetarian. No, my- macrobiotic. What is that, indeed? Macrobiotic, microbiotic diet. Okay. It is vegetarian. Yeah. 
um, macrobiotic diet, I think. And you know, in 1970, yeah. So that's very forward. It's a very progressive way of living your life in that era, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And it was her who who got him to do it. Ah. And it only lasted like about eight months or something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you tried. You can't blame But he was young enough, I guess, to bounce back quickly because Isla White, he looks fantastic. Mm. And he's playing great. Mm. And uh, yeah. I, I saw him, uh, it would have been just a l- little after that because Chick Corea left the band and it was just Keith Jarrett. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, Gary Bartz was on alto. And... Uh, Yep, Ayrto, Jack DeJunet, and Michael Henderson. You know, uh, Michael Henderson, bassist. And um, I a very was, formidable lineup. You oh know, my god! That he had great consistency. He'd been playing with those players. Yeah. Oh, so Michael Henderson came in after um, the uh, the guy who's on Isle of Wight. I can never remember his name. British bassist. Yeah. So anyway. It was a club in San Francisco, a mm-hmm. club, mind you, you yeah. know, and uh, two hundred people at most. Kind yeah, of, yeah, so. packed. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> it's Miles Davis, and yeah. he's playing for two hundred people. You know what I mean? In San Francisco, this just makes no sense to me. But right. <laughs> anyway, what? so I'm I'm right here, and he's right there. So what? <laughs> Literally five feet. You're all, not even five feet. You're front row. Yeah, you're, you're and as close. almost up against the little one foot high stage. You know. Yeah, which isn't really even. Yeah. No it was way. ridiculous, man. Are you serious? It's just. It was you have ridiculous. radiation poisoning. Like there's, there's no way <laughs> you saw that much greatness in in front of you. That it, it with the potential of greatness that you had inside of you. That's why you would yeah. follow that muse. And that's why it's like, there's no way you couldn't be great. <laughs> there's just no way that to see Fine. Hendrix, to see Clapton, to see Miles Davis, and to, to be that close and to play with a lot of these people as well. Well, you know, to be it was a great time to be a guitar player, you know, clearly, you know. I mean, that's Clapton, you know, Bloomfield, Hendrix, Jimmy Page, oh, you know, everybody was... Prime BB King. Huh? Prime BB King. You know, prime. So you know when he was on fire, when he was mobile, when he was making money. And who? BB King. BB King. Yes, you know. of course. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh no. You know. Yeah, prime BB King. That's prime. what you said. Yeah, yeah, he was 40. That's young. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> this is the best you could be. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I know. It's. I wonder. Do you think, looking back, like there must have been some form of like a consciousness up? Lifting mm. kind of a thing, mm. like musically speaking. Well, I mean, the whole, there was an entire cultural movement happening at that yeah. time. Yeah. And it seemed like everyone was ex- excited by it and attuned to it. You mm. know? I mean, it was the hippie culture mm. primarily, you know. It's San Francisco, mm. Fillmore Auditorium. Yeah, very one place where it happened, too. It was like, you know, the love... You know, Summer of Love, 1968, you know, I mean, beads, incense, marijuana, other things. Oh, yeah, other things. You know? yeah, that's true. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> not, well, anyway, I'll stop right there. <laughs> oh, no, please. <laughs> well, you know, um, there, was, there were drugs that became like, you know, more destructive, you know, cocaine, you know. Right. Most not- people weren't using cocaine. They were not. You know, it was it was very 
peaceful. Right. Like, <laughs> it was peace and love, man. My God. Yeah. It really was. It's yeah. just unbelievably. You'd go in there and everybody was riveted. You know, we were talking about the, that, um, you know, people who were kind of more interested to live performance and lengthy shows Absolutely. and people playing for a long time. Well, to me, that's, I mean, to everyone else too, the jam band movement is basically that. Mm. So, you know. Mm. The psychedelic experience it's, combined with live music. And people still do that, right? I mean, they oh, do yeah. play. All people of are the time. out there playing. It is very alive. It's yeah. constantly changing, mm-hmm. and it's very intelligent people. Yeah, you know, oftentimes that are part of the fan base that are just hyper curious and have a love for music. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be some form of a uh, a spiritual distillation in the most transparent and human way possible. That's really happening. A spiritual exchange, rather. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very between the, the musicians and the, the audience. Yeah, that's what it felt like back then. It was yeah. it was like that. It was like, man, this thing was on. You well, know? you were you've been on Beautiful. both sides of the glass. Yeah, yeah or the stage rather. Yeah, <laughs> the PA speakers. Sure. <laughs> you know, you were, got to witness greatness and then also be a be part of the pr- production of greatness. Um, and that's an a, unbelievable opportunity. That's very very wild. Well, just never stopped doing it. You know, mm. picked up a guitar and kept playing it. <laughs> which is the key to not stop that you don't do other things you know yeah yeah which oh, is wow. hard for people because you know you got to make a living you know yeah well, we, I we, got lucky early yeah from yeah. that point of view you know so you think the non-stopping that, it was it, that was all I was going to do and there's great power in that you know you you, you it comes s- back to Matisse Right. Well, that's sort of the end game. <laughs> yeah, right. So being a servant of, of the thing, uh, of whatever it is you're doing, you know, and, and doing yes. that. Yes. Yeah. And it's critical that you do it when you're young. Okay. Absolutely critical. I right. mean, you are a fine example of this. You, you decided you were playing the guitar yeah. and you devoted yourself to it and that's yeah. what you do. I feel like it decided for, it, like, uh, it decided for me. Well, like, you didn't want to do anything else. I couldn't even think of anything else. Can you think of anything else? <laughs> and that's the thing that I'm on this weird crux of now, mm-hmm. you know, which in full transparency, it's great to talk to you about where it's like, well, I think now some days, mm-hmm. oh man, this is a really long life. Yeah. Like this is very long. And it's like, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's- Isn't that great? Well, I think that. I do, but only recently have I thought this is also kind of scary. Yes, it is. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of a scary thing to trust. But yeah. I think it's a good thing is mm-hmm. what I'm arriving at. I think it's the only way that it can be successful. Okay. What is your what's your thought on that on that statement? What's what's your basis I, on I, that? I think you can trust, you know, in our yeah. case, the music. You it can is. trust the music. It'll take care of you, man. That's what I. That's what I think when I'm in the presence of, of of literally my heroes. You know, yourself on that list included. Where it's like things really just happen. If you take care of the work, the work takes care of you. Yeah, that's a fair exchange. Oh. It's an equal equal exchange. I mean, which makes a lot of sense. Ha- it it kind of <laughs> does, doesn't it? Yeah, you're right. It's oh. action reaction. You know, or you know, however you want to. You know. Put your energy into that, and then you get some of that back. <laughs> oh, wow, man. It's like, it really pl- like farming or anything else, right? You, know, you put your energy in, and you get you plant berries, and you get berries. You know? Whoa, yeah. So uh, 
And then every now and then, there's a, a bad year. That's, oh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. This, that's part of life too, right? Because I've had them, you know? I mean, I've, I've been really even better off than I knew I was had I treated it properly and invested in stuff like that. Sure, yeah, young, of course. Young people don't know anything about that, except you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yep. But, uh, Which you gave nobody me great advice, them. you know. But uh, yeah. anyway, so, you know, I've, I've had, you know, a lot and seen and had, had it all just go away, you know, and be just like I was when I was, you know, be in the same situation I was when I was 19. Oh, yeah, you know? that's so a scary thing. It is, you know, like that. It's, it can be a bit of a roller coaster ride, but what else was I going to do, man? Oh. What else am I going to do? Well, yeah, right. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that there's anything wrong with other things, but am, yeah. am I going to choose to do what instead of play music? Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know? Which, what does that even mean? Like, you're yes, just... and I don't, I don't believe in the, in the safe move. I don't believe in the, you know, fallback position you know right it weakens you because it makes you do what you're doing as your plan a only 75 percent because you're saving the 25 percent for b that's not even happening i i heard the same analogy for the first time really uh about investing not that we're going to go into investing but you know this guy was talking about bitcoin versus you know other altcoins you know yeah so there's um what's the one well, Ethereum is Ethereum. the most talked about, I think. But, yeah. but there are many. But, you know, this guy says, well, if you, okay, you put part of your investment into Bitcoin, which has 97% of the market, Jesus. and part of your, your investment into Ethereum, which has, you know, whatever percentage of the market, it's like, why don't you just put it all in Bitcoin? Sure. Because <laughs> you're just diluting your, the possible gain. You know? Yeah. So it's the same, I think, with anything. It's like, you know, the more you put yourself into something, clearly, you know, the odds are more in your favor of success. You know? It's funny, too, how when we were signing, we were signing hundreds of records and we were talking about <laughs> the concept of buy and hold yeah. and how that applies to Bitcoin. And, mm-hmm. you know, Bitcoin presently this morning, I believe, was like 20 percent down from when it was on Friday. Yeah. Um, I put, you know, just a few thousand in, mm-hmm. you know, based on your recommendation, mm. uh, you know, just putting in uh, X amount per week, yeah. you know, and just letting that go until, yeah. yeah. obviously until it reaches, you know, maybe that uh, aforementioned oh, yeah. six figure place, you know, in the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it's the same concept of just of playing the long game, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the thing that music, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, um, there's a thing, I think, when you're a musician that kind of forces you to think longer picture mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody who's like trying to pursue a more traditional pursuit in life. Um, I'm sure you're friends with people who are not musicians, you know? Yeah, I mean? sure. And like, um, the not way too that... many though. Oh, really? Surprisingly. Interesting. Almost everybody I know is a musician. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. The thing that's happening now, at least we're. You know, especially from COVID, is a lot of people are, you know, stopping music. They're gonna, they're going into real estate. People are, you know, they're moving back home to where they came from in the Midwest, and they're just gonna stay there for a couple of years and see what happens. Mm. But music kind of lights this fire under your ass that like doesn't let you quite stop. And it's music's kind of like buy and hold mm-hmm. in some way, where mm-hmm. you just keep putting in the in the currency of time mm-hmm. and just 
hoping that that stock price rises over time, yeah. that it, <laughs> that it gains a you know a appreciation. Yes. Yeah, and it's a beautiful thing to see that happen. Like um, on the way over here, man, I was just kind of going through some of the music that's happened uh, from the start of your career to where we're at today, and then listening to some of the demos that you've set my way from your most recent record. And it's amazing to see that evolving. That uh, I don't know if evolution's a word. Evolution. Evolution. Evolution's the word I'm looking for. The evolution is very real, and the appreciation of who you are as a person and a musician is so obvious. Is that striking you right now when you're wrapping up this record and, and working on that? Like how you have come in this journey and where you are right now in your process of creating music mm-hmm. and mature that maturation that you have and, and mm-hmm. the approach. Is that something that's apparent to you or do you still feel very much like you were when you were in your mid twenties, when you're in your early thirties? Well, I think, you know, one of the things we were kind of addressing a moment ago about, you know, you actually, you're willing to like your own work. You have to, you know? So, uh, I think that I mean, that's a, that's an attitude. I mean, I'm surprised at people, you know, the the people that I know who, like, I'm not happy with any of the records I ever made. Kind of attitude, you know. I'm like, what's the point? Or they they're never they never seem to like like what they do, <laughs> like really like what they do. They know they're doing something. They yeah. like doing it. Yeah. But you know, but anyway, I was uh, I said to uh, Casey Wasner, you know, the my engineer and co-producer on this record I, I told him yesterday man i think this this might be my favorite record i've ever made come on there so it is there's the confirmation of it you know yeah. for me at least on that musical side and wow. feeling good about you know how everything has evolved you know mm. it's evolved it, it keeps evolving i mean it does. it's shocking yeah and beautiful it must be after for how long you've been doing it and with how many people you've shared it with and, and created music with. Like the fact that it keeps changing and evolving must be It's very gratifying. Oh. And every now and then there are these moments of doubt. Even now. Sure. Really? Yeah. When I started this this very record, you know, <laughs> Kelly pointed out to me that I, I, was, I said one day that I was scared. <laughs> so I'm like, wow. You know, I'm I'm going to make an instrumental album, and I think about, you know, like guitar players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are there are some really incredibly facile fingers out there, man. Facile fingers is the name <laughs> of my next instructional series. You know, That's great. <laughs> I mean, people who can play rings around me. You yeah. know, in terms of their abilities on yeah. the guitar. I mean, yeah. I, I'm. I freely admit that. Oh, yeah. You know? But I have concentrated on something else, you know? I mean, yeah. the facile finger song. is second to making really good music. So I can't play like a lot of other people can play. Right. Sure. And that's you... what scared me. I'm like... If if I look at it like I'm making an instrumental album, if, and if you look at it in a competitive way, who am I going up against? It's like, oh, these people, you know, there's people out there that can play a lot more notes a lot faster than I can. You know, you know Steve Vai is, exactly. is the man who invented the science of per, of perfect fast guitar playing. Steve Vai. I actually think it was he was a student of Joe Satriani. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. It was Joe before. Surfing with the alien. There's nothing. What's more cosmic? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really. He was just known second. 
Yeah. <laughs> he was discovered second. Steve definitely had more commercial success too. You Ooh. know, you know, yeah. he, huge. he, huge. He really hit it in a beautiful, yeah. I'm going to be talking with Steve here shortly. And I, via, he's not out here, is he? He's not. No, he's out in uh, California. Yeah. Yeah. He's got his, he's got his family. He's got his life yeah. out there, mm-hmm. you know, um, not having, uh, what's it called? people you're comparing yourself against i mean so what's the deal with that how are you not doing that how yeah well you mean how am i not doing that exactly oh i see what you're saying because that's so and it's a easy. very good question yeah it's so easy to do and it's it's the fact that i've been doing this a long time yep and yep if i don't trust myself then who does you know it's like if oh. i don't if i don't think i've been you know had the right approach all along yeah. You know, then you just, it, it's, it isn't broken, man. Don't try to fix it. You've said those things to me <laughs> dozens of times. I have. It's so true, man. Yeah. And it's with me now when I, when I am, when I'm playing live mm-hmm. and when I'm, I have headphones on and the amps in another room and we're recording a session. Mm-hmm. Don't overthink it. You mm-hmm. got to trust yourself. Mm-hmm. I remember we were doing a take of a song and you stopped right, but right as the guitar intro was coming, it was like a four bar guitar intro. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you press the, the talk back button and then you go, Daniel, the tone's great. The amps sound awesome. It doesn't sound like you trust yourself. <laughs> and there was, Yep, there it is. Let me just turn that trust knob up a little. Is that right? All right. Yes. That's how it went. <laughs> and it went so, so true. And it was just a, that mental. So that's part of your process is, mm-hmm. is trusting yourself and your oh, creation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, a Zen, uh, some Zen master said, um, confidence precedes all virtue. So confidence precedes everything. If you're not confident... You shouldn't even do it. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Right. I mean, to a certain degree, you know, of course. But I mean, like yeah. when you're learning. But I mean, again, after all these years, man, you know, if I, if I, I can't reinvent myself. I mean, I can reinvent myself. But we were talking about this earlier, right? It's sort of you're, you're reinventing yourself in, in a different way. Yes, you are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're making adjustments, sort of, yeah. you know? And uh, Bonamassa said it. He, he doesn't. He doesn't say less is more, but that different is better. Different is better. Different is better. So as long it's not. If if he, it was at Cheesecake Factory one night, and it was like. He just said it out of nowhere too. I think we were talking about like Les Paul or someone like that. It was like that guy. Played oh, I see so what much. you're saying. Yeah, and it's you yeah. Know, for, it's so different. You have to play different. It's not that yeah. less is more, but it's that different as you look at the macro of your work and your time and your career. Right. It's that the different is better. Yeah. You know, in this record, this music is certainly a departure from from Tiger Walk and of sort certainly different from Blue Moon. Oh, big it's time. Big yeah. time, right? Yeah. That, was, that like, was a vocal album, you know. My songwriting yeah. was still sort of developing, you know. Mm, yeah. That's a, whoa, okay. Yeah. And now you're applying it to the art of instrumental craft, which is a whole different. Well, it's it's nice to be back. To tell you the oh, truth. Oh wow! Because I I like I like melodies, you know. Yeah. I, I like melodies, and you know, writing lyrics takes up far more time than writing music. <laughs> hmm. Right? If you write a song, you, the lyric takes up far more time than. Oh, it's like matching two socks together. Music. Well. Words and music. But you have to sew 
one sock more than the other one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> so, it is, yeah, it's very hard. I think, anyway, my, in my case, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, okay, I've got, I like the musical idea. That's not going to be a problem to develop this musical idea, you know, no. but writing that lyric is going to take me weeks. Yeah, it's weird how certain muses come to us in different forms of ease. Hmm. And it's like the muse of the hmm. guitar is so Oh, readily. so maybe you have the opposite uh, experience. Maybe writing lyrics is easier for you. Well, I, I, I'm a big fan of Tom T. Hall, and he has this concept of uh, relate, don't create. Uh-huh. Which seems to be very similar to what you were saying about Matisse. Yeah. Which is relate to the scope of reality that's happening before you, how that's affecting your senses, and relate to that and let that be the medium of your creation. Mm-hmm. Not the concept of having to create something that's very, you know, fictitious, like fictional and right. illustrious. Out of the blue, out of the air, like right. invent something. Not many people have that level of abstract intelligence where they can just participate in a reality that easily. And draw lyrics from it like John Lennon could or mm. Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about the the ones. Yeah. And it's like, most is just a matter of relating. That's pretty much it. I know. <laughs> There's two. <laughs> so true. Yeah, it's very real. Oh, man. The Grateful Dead guy. What's his name? Robert Hunter. Robert Hunter, man. Very absurd. You know. Fantastic. Very, very crazy. A lot of LSD. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can you say? But a lot of great lyrics came out of it. A lot of great beauty. This imagery is just fantastic, I think. Well, you were just playing for me, which was the most random musical event that's happened to me, I think, in a while. Good. Was <laughs> me playing your your six-string, 12-string Epiphone, mm-hmm. and you're on the piano, and we start playing... Yeah. Oh, 335, yeah. ra- rather. And you play uh, Terrapin Station. Right. Absolutely insane. What a beautiful lyrical composition to that song is. Mm-hmm. You know, that seemed to be a different era of the dead too. Um, when they were, when you had, when you told me you had seen them, which was like in their earlier yes. stages. Yeah, I yeah. saw them in the '60s. You know. Yeah, very raw. Terrapins, like I don't know how far, how deep is terrapin? That's... Terrapin, I think, is like seventy-seven. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Seventy-six, seventy-seven. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole record is very weird because it all kind of the whole second side kind of revolves around that one song. That's um, right, Terrapin the, Station, like a little sweet. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, lady with a fan. It was that was that one section. And he then, said that he wrote that whole thing in the car. Are you fucking serious? Yeah, he said he conceived that whole thing in the car. I mean, instrumentally, of course, you know Jerry Garcia. Oh wow! But he said he he didn't even have a guitar, you know, or any instrument. He yeah. just he was driving for a long time. I mean, that really and he Jerry wrote the music. Oh my god! Pretty cool. The thing that's uh, very wild is uh, early 70s. It kind of sounds just like my Bloomfield. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? Uh, Bloomfield, uh, I read a quote. Uh, Bloomfield said, I don't think he's, he, he sounds like me because he listened to me. Aww. He felt that Jerry got there on his own. Bloomfield did. Yeah. So that's kind of a... Vote of confidence for yeah, Jerry there. It really is. <laughs> and a nice lack of ego. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. There's uh, one thing I wanted to, and then we could wrap with this. It, there was a sticker that you had given me that uh, I forgot I had had. And I was cleaning out a bag the other day, and it fell out. And it's um, th- it's like 
not after Eid Tab Iful. What's the deal, right? So I'm like, what in God's name is this sticker? <laughs> and I'm staring at it for th- three, four minutes, and it's like, oh, lack of ego, not afraid to be a fool. Not right? afraid to be a fool, yeah. What is the what's the deal <laughs> with that? Also, a Buddhist, uh, you know, one of our Buddhist teachers. That was one of the uh, kind of things, suggestions <laughs> uh, on the path, you know, not afraid to be a fool. So you don't take yourself too seriously. Right. Yeah. seems like humility is almost like this divine solution to kind of figure out a way to get ego out of out the of way. The picture. Out, yeah, of the out of the picture. Out of the way, yeah. Out of the way. Oh, that's another thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is that the whole that whole concept? I'm sure that's pervasive in your work now. But is that like what started that whole that whole concept, that whole train of thought for you? When was that becoming something you were actively thinking about? Uh, well, mid seventies. Oh, so for a while you have a lot of you have tenure with this idea. Yeah, yeah. It, it you know, even those things like not afraid to be a fool was said by our Buddhist teacher. You know, back then. Uh, I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> I still took myself too seriously. So it took a while for these things, many of these concepts to sort of sink in. A lot know? of young guys do. I see myself doing that all the time. Yeah. And I, the less I can do that, I get better results, but it's so hard to let go. Yeah. And not, and not. Yeah. You know, I think it's that same fear of talking about trusting the music is the same. Mm. Not afraid to be a fool. Don't be afraid yes. to trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think anything like that started really kicking in, honestly, until, you know, age 35. Uh, still very young, okay. Relatively young. Yeah. yeah. But that seems like a, a long time to get the point. <laughs> On the other <laughs> side of it is like, <laughs> well, but that's the way it is, you know. So what? Uh, but it's really like, honestly, I feel like, you know, what, what changes is when you actually, when you, when you actually start thinking of other people more. Because when you're young, you're thinking of yourself all the time. All man. the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you can hear it Ad in nauseum. players. <laughs> yeah, man. It's players that don't listen to the band. Mm. It's players that are stuck in their own realities when they're playing. Mm, yes. And I mean, like, that's that. a really good point. You know, I hadn't even quite thought of it that way, but it makes absolute sense. If you learn how to play the guitar via your ego, yeah. you know, then yeah. there you are, you know? You're, yeah, wow. And that was the one thing I, 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 you know, of course, everybody thinks they're hot shit, you know, for a while. Especially yourself, likewise. That's what I mean. Very, yeah. you have every reason to. But the, the music just was so much more important, you know? It was just it's the, the I, I I like that music, you know. Like you're, the music sort of humbles you. The beauty of the music sort of humbles you. That you is know? the you, realest thing. So you're always just sort of surrendering to the music, you know. And, and you, hmm. I haven't cared for a long time if I was sitting and listening to somebody or if I was playing. I'm just as happy to sit and listen to that guy yeah. as I am to get up there and play. I don't want to play. I want to listen to that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. So that whole, it's about the music, you know? In short and in large, it, that really is a statement that encompasses it all. Mm-hmm. It's that it's all about the music. Yeah. And it's funny that that's like the doorstop 
Mm-hmm. That, that <laughs> is there for you always. That is the realest thing. Mm-hmm. It is all about it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, thanks for the time. This is astounding. Always a pleasure. Right on. Can't always wait to hear pleasure. the record. I'll play a little something if you like. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Mr. Robin Ford, y'all, one of my absolute heroes. And if you're a guitar player, he likely is one of your heroes as well. His new record is coming out very soon. Go out and check out A Young Man's Country, which is the first Cosmic Country full-length album that we put out August 7th of last year. Robin produced that album. Um, Be sure to follow this podcast on Spotify. Um, Leave us a review on Apple. Support the podcast on Patreon if you would like. It is a dollar a month. And also, if a dollar a month is out of your pay grade right now, even though we're getting that stimulus, crazy, we have a free Cosmic Country Club that you can go check out on danieldonato.com. We are touring this year. We are doing all the things. Thank you guys for listening. And again, remember this one. Those who look outside dream... Those look inside awaken. Look both ways before you cross the street. Oh, not really good, but I'll talk to y'all later. Thank you. Stay patient. Stay persistent. Stay positive.